And we, uh, we're recording. And I was just saying that uh, it's probably best that you say your name for everybody. I was gonna take, man. I was gonna take a, a stab at it, but I don't want to butcher your name. Um, your your name uh, is. So, let's make a deal. Like I say my name, you try to repeat it. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, my full name is Andrus Vilvichanskas. Andrus. Yeah. <laughs> I got the easy one. <laughs> Verbichaskas. Oh, that's good, man. Oh, sh- for your first try, that's really good. Not bad. <laughs> See, I do. Uh, I do as the I, uh, at the IPF. I do the commentary for the World Championships, and I get. I have to say a lot of names, obviously, from all over the world. So I've. I'm not, man. I'm not amazing at it. But there's there's been some doozies. There's been some really tough ones. And I'll double back into the warm-up room before we go live on the air. And I'm like, how do I say your name? How do I pronounce it? And I'll write it down how I have to verbalize it. Uh, I mean, I'm not amazing at it, but I'm, I've am i taken stabs at names from all over the world. I mean, you had practice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got practice. So anyway, uh, I'm from Lithuania. That's why my name is so difficult. Uh, we have weird last names. Um... Veteran powerlifter, so-so powerlifter, not great. Uh, currently a coach, uh, have my own gym, and I'm living in Vietnam. No kidding. So, so how did that come to be that you're living in Vietnam? Well, I had a five-year trip around the world, I guess. Like, not all of the world, but I traveled a lot. Uh, I visited many countries, especially in Asia. And somehow I realized that Vietnam is a good place to live for me. I like the weather. Uh, I like the food. You know. See that? That's it, it's great here. But... Of all the places that I would, I would think Vietnam is not on my top five in terms of where I would probably end up living. Like, how did? What's life like in Vietnam for someone who doesn't know? Um, I don't know. The major cities are very similar to what we have in, in Europe or in U.S. or in Canada, so it's not that much of a different busy life. Like, if you go more to the uh, countryside or smaller towns, I live in a town of half a million people, um, life is slow here. Mm-hmm. Not much going on, people going on, but they're like, doing normal stuff, like go to sleep 10 p.m., everything is closed 10 p.m., no nightlife to speak of. Oh, wow. I mean, you can make it happen, but um, I live near next to the sea, so beachside. Uh, so for me, that's great because I like being next to the sea. I don't like swimming, per se, in the sea. I just like being next to it. Same here. So for Same me, here. like when I, when, I, when I chose it, like I was like, okay, which uh, beachside town I could choose in Vietnam, and I choose this small one to live in. So far... I mean, for a traveler to come to Vietnam, obviously, different culture, very different. Sometimes it's hard, you know, culture. Um, like, what would what that else? be? In like, terms of cultural cultural differences, what are some of the cultural well, differences? One, like, one of the things that really gets to me is the, the, the so-called rubber time. So if you have an appointment here... Well, in any modern country, let's within what twenty minutes, right? Like twenty minutes late, that's already late. Yeah. Here, it could be you have an appointment in the morning; they will come in the evening. 
like smokes, man. They, it's like I said, it's a very chill life. Like they don't worry, they don't stress out. They come when they come. Like for example, if you hire someone to fix your house or anything like that, it's it's very different. So I highly recommend traveling here and not looking from a like a tourist perspective, not going to the touristy places, but actually like to these places where there are less tourists. So then you see the actual lifestyle they have here, mm. and it's. I have to admit, it's hard to adapt. Yeah. It's not easy. Is there other things besides the, the rubber time? Like, do you stick out? Is there a lot of people like yourself that live there? Honestly, I just... Yeah, the, the town I live, we have like maybe 200 uh, foreigners living here. Most of them are English teachers. Um, bigger towns, thousands and thousands of expats, uh, from people who just transferred from their companies or just teaching English or travelers. And I don't feel that I stick out. At least I don't know this anymore. Like, uh, before, when I came in, I'm like, everyone, I, I look, people stared at me. Yeah. And I probably just don't know this anymore. Because I've heard stories of people who've been to um, certain parts of Asia, certain parts of China, for instance, where they're not used to seeing a white person. And they look at you like whole, like, like you're an alien. They just can't wrap their head around, um, what are you doing here? Uh, countryside. Because now nowadays tourism is so high, so many Westerners come to Asia that they're actually getting used to that. Like if you go to very, very countryside, something tribal areas practically, then you will be the, the weird stick. Like they're going to look at you like, who are you? But in normal like country, normal cities like I live or bigger cities, nothing special to be honest. And do they, is, so the common language between you and them is English then? Is that right? Uh, I do not speak Vietnamese. <laughs> so, That's a very hard language to learn. Okay. Um, but I do speak with them in English. Um, actually, there are a lot of Vietnamese who can also speak Korean or Chinese or even Russian because there are many tourists that come from Russia from neighboring countries. So English is not necessarily the main one, even though every Vietnamese wants to learn English. That's why we, they have so many English teachers. And so, so when you go to your day-to-day -day life, if you go to like a store, a grocery store, or whatever, what's the likelihood that someone speaks English? Pretty high. Really? Uh, wow, cashiers, okay. if, if I need help, cashiers, sometimes they... Or they have something to sell extra. They have these uh, upgrades. They do speak English. It's not that uncommon. Like it's it's not great, but you can understand each other. Yeah, you're gonna get by. Like, see, I didn't I didn't know that. I didn't realize. Yeah. I thought I would be you know if you dump me in there, be I'd be a total fish out of water. But I could probably get by then. No, not really. Uh, you, you would get by easily with English. Nope. Even in smaller places. In big cities, absolutely no problem. Every young person speaks English. Wow. So, and, and what kind of like sports are big in Vietnam? That's the thing. In the last, let's say, four years, powerlifting grew a lot. They just started. It's been only a few years, a few meets, maybe more than, maybe like, what, 10 meets in total? but it's growing extremely fast mm. to the point where right now there's one Vietnamese person who's going to be in pro next pro raw under 95. Oh, wow. So there's a lot of talent that's not 
packed yet. Like I've seen deadlifters in um, 83 category, 82 and a half category, 320, 340 kg. Holy smokes, man. It's, it's, they have, I don't know, but their deadlifts are insane. When you look at their deadlifts, it's like, how do you even do that? So give it a few more years, powerlifting will become big, especially in bigger cities. They, where I live, where I have my gym, people are not so much into powerlifting. They're more like general training, physique, bodybuilding. But big cities, they love strength training. They they do it a lot. Like more and more gyms are opening specifically for powerlifting. I don't know, man. Give it a few years. Suddenly we have Vietnamese names in the world championships and, and such. Well, they just they recently just opened. Uh, Sorry, they, I think we're we might have been about to say the same thing. Didn't China just join the IPF? Yes, Vietnam also joined the IPF this year. So that's so... huge, man. IPF is making some major inroads in Asia. Um, and those are obviously China. Exactly. The population of China in terms of talent pool, over a billion people in China. If you want to talk talent pool, that Imagine. could be, you know, moving into powerlifting. And the government in China backs their sports and athletes. Um, so if they make a push and put some investment into recruiting for powerlifting, oh my God, I've seen videos of Olympic lifters. And the type of strength they have per body weight is absolutely off the charts. Staggering. If you it's even insane. if you picture the Chinese talent pool entering powerlifting, not maybe because it's not an Olympic sport, maybe not a one-to-one ratio in terms of backing and the amount of lifters as the Olymp- Olympics, but even if it's like any kind of push at all, and they're taking from a talent pool a, a billion people deep, man, we could have a like the 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 face of powerlifting in terms of who's a star could completely shift right now. America is, you know, heading way to powerhouse. Some of these Asian nations could definitely take over. Well, Vietnam has a hundred million population. So add that and let's see how the pro goes for the guy. And I think this might be one girl. Uh, I'm not sure, but let's just wait. And I think there's going to be a huge, surge of more lifters, better lifters, yeah. and suddenly our total is going to be like peanuts. I, isn't it crazy how that works out? I tell people all the time, um, talent pool matters. It matters how big your talent pool is. Who are you drawing from? To get to the tip of the spear, if that spear itself isn't very deep, very, isn't very thick, well, okay, it's good to get to the tip of that spear, but if the if there's, we're talking drawing from a billion, two billion, or seven billion people walking the earth. It's much different. When people ask me, how come you don't cover this federation's nationals? Well, that federation could be so small, and their nationals could be then relatively so small that it's, you can't cover everything. So I'm diverting my attention to that tip of the spear elite, you know, level, obviously, right? You can only pick so many. Um, When you talk about the IPF, if it's nationals, in for a, a nation in the IPF that has a hundred million people, yeah, you're talking top of the end uh, talent pool. First off, I didn't realize Vietnam had a hundred million people. Vietnam is not big geographically. These guys, like Asia, no, like it's how, not. It. It's a very how, long country. <laughs> how crammed are the streets when there's a hundred million people crammed in a in a city that size, or sorry, a country that size? Part of the reason I don't live in big cities. Really? Traffic is insane. 
Yeah. Uh, that's uh, Saigon, uh, Ho Chi Minh City, and Hanoi, two major cities. The traffic is like, I just can't stand it. It's too much for me. That's why I picked a town that's relatively small. Um, but yeah, <laughs> it's insane here. You have to come and see yourself. Like crossing a street is like a dance with, a de- with death. Really? <laughs> you don't know what's going to happen. You know, it's just like, it's insane. Wow. It, uh, like, so that means, I bet you, like, apartments, is it expensive to live there because of how dense it is? Just to get an apartment. Like, to own land must be insane, no? Um, that's the thing. Real estate here is climbing, it's doubling its price, like, every six months or so. Holy uh, shit. It's booming. So, it's unaffordable for normal folk. Um buying land or apartment is equal to western prices yeah but that's western standards so if you want to live local local so that's gonna be pretty cheap i mean you're gonna spend uh let's do the math like a hundred bucks a month for uh accommodation but that's pretty local local pretty cheap yeah so if you want something better a thousand dollars two thousand dollars in big cities is pretty common yeah yeah. Monthly rental. And what sports besides powerlifting? Like, because I'm just saying, in terms of talent pool, what sports are popular there? Uh, there's a huge resurgence, I think, of uh, soccer, of uh, football. Yeah. Uh, Vietnamese team is going pretty well, especially under 23. Uh, they won the Asia, I think. I don't follow closely, but. Vietnamese go crazy when their team wins. Like they go to streets, they they parade. They're very happy about that. So football is probably the, the most popular sport in Vietnam right now. Besides that, I think they have a few Olympic weightlifters. Uh, I I didn't follow, so I, I can tell more. But I heard stories that some they want something, and I think the first powerlifting person from Vietnam who wins something internationally was a uh, Paralympics. Um, it was back in 2016. I don't want to lie; I don't remember exactly what was it, but I think that was their first appearance in terms of powerlifting. And after that, like uh, people start doing it more and more and more. Mm. In in terms of just the taste of, because we're we'll getting to powerlifting in a second, but just the taste of culture. Because I love to learn about a country when I get somebody who's living in a different place. Um, what's the music in movies like? Do they get the same music in movies as like North America, Europe, or is it totally? You mean the Hollywood movies or like yeah, local like, movies? Is it is there Hollywood movies? Because I know China and Japan make movies as well. So what movies make it big over there? Like, would you see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Would you see The Joker? Would you see these American Hollywood movies? And um, and would you hear like music, like rap music and stuff like that over there, or is it going yeah. to be a little different? No, yeah, they love American movies, uh, Marvel, uh, Avengers, and all that stuff. Joker, they watch it, they love it, they share it on social media. Uh, I mean, in terms of music, uh, their style, I don't like what they listen. It's a very like in terms of modern music, they listen to this kind of like techno. It's called what's the word for that? Dinner, dinner house. So kind of like a house style, but it's it's I don't like it. Like <laughs> locals love it. I I can't listen to it. But they also listen to 
all the Western stuff too. Yeah. So it's not much of a difference. Are they culturally like that? Are they more influenced from the Western culture or are they more influenced from China, Japan, and more Eastern culture? In terms of, do you think? Does depends what we're talking about. Yeah. For example, music culture, youngsters like K-pop, J-pop, so everything from Japan, Korea. Um, in terms of movies, definitely West the Hollywood stuff. Uh, I think they collect every bits from every other culture. They like to incorporate things from other cultures into theirs. So there's no like I don't know. Like I'm not yet not a teenager anymore, so I I don't interact with teenagers here. So I don't know exactly. Um, but but my girlfriend like. She also doesn't like a lot of Vietnamese stuff. She likes also Japanese, Korean, uh, American movies, and all like that. I can't believe how big K-pop is. I had no freaking idea. So um, I remember I used to work in this place. This girl who worked there was she's Canadian, super into K-pop. For what I'm like, how do you get into K-pop when you're like in Canada? And um, she was telling me about it. Like they're K-pop is absolutely monstrously huge. Like we can't even wrap our head around how big some of these K-pop stars are, the type of millions of records and how many people show up. Like K-pop is staggering because Asia is massive. So if you make it as a K-pop artist in Asia, you're talking like, I mean, obviously China's 1.7 billion. A place like Vietnam is 100 million. Japan was a 200 million. Like so many people over there that if you make it, and K-pop's big. You could be even bigger as a K-pop star as like a star in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. The the, the audience is the audience pool is very large. And quite recently, I think they started having their own version of K-pop. It's called uh, I think the V-pop, Vietnamese pop. So also they have these young teenage girls, boys singing and like all that stuff, like. Is becoming popular. My girlfriend listens to that, and like every time she listens, I just start smiling and like, yeah, <laughs> not my type. <laughs> is, your, is your girlfriend Vietnamese, or does she come with you from Lithuania? Yes, she's yes, Vietnamese? no, she's Vietnamese. Oh wow! So cool. you're soon to be married. Oh wow! Well, congratulations, so, sir. Uh, so you were you. <laughs> totally immersed in it. It probably helps actually that your girlfriend's Vietnamese in terms of like adapting to the culture and everything else because she can help. All along the way now. Oh, she helps me all the time, man. <laughs> like I would, I would not survive here on my own. Like, uh, like when you're traveling, it's pretty easy because you usually visit places catered to tourists, right? Yeah, yeah. But when you live here and you have to do like household things, like yeah. installing the air conditioning, you know, and like you have to deal with these people who work. Ah, man, I would. I don't know. I don't. I don't think I could live like that. How How did you end up? Um, cause I, I could just picture like moving to Vietnam and then going on the dating scene in Vietnam when you aren't from Vietnam. Like, was that a totally different situation too? Like meeting your wife and, and the, how would all that happen? It's hard for me to wrap my head around. I mean, when you travel, uh, I'm always keen meet, meeting local people. So what helps right now, like, or even five years ago is dating apps. Simple as that. There are girls who want to meet other guys, and like we met. I don't know. It just worked, you know. Like it, it didn't work right away because we had different ideas. Like I, I visited Vietnam, and then I want to go to Japan. 
to try living there and actually did and she wanted to become a flight attendant mm. so she moved to dubai uh, to work as a flight attendant and i moved to japan to try to live in japan because that's my actually was my first choice yeah but then after a year or so like i got tired of japan she got tired of her job and like yeah sure let's do it and we traveled together we did south america and after that like okay what's next where do we live and like she can't stand cold i'm from a cold country i can't stand cold okay so what's the warm country we, we could live in and we okay do thailand vietnam you know philippines like of all the regions vietnam made most sense not because she's vietnamese but because it's a stable region it's good climate it's relatively cheap to live in and we're just like yeah sure let's try it and it's been what two years together living here and um, i don't know can't complain honestly man eh? i love my life here i have my gym i train people i train myself yeah it's it's you know it's funny so when you go to a different country like that in terms like dating it's not the worst thing in the world to stand out you know if any any girls who are into um hollywood movies Oh wow! There's a dude who might who looks like he's he'd be straight out of a Hollywood movie. If all of a sudden, like, because you stand out, you're different. And um, I mean, that happens no matter where you're at. If you look a little different, you got. If anyone's into that, you got that market cornered. <laughs> you know what I mean? Any girls into yeah, that look? That's... There's no competition. If you're into that look, the competition is very slim. You just gotta have your head on your shoulders and be a good guy. And bam, I got one. You know. <clears throat> That's the thing, like, there are girls who are definitely interested in foreigners, uh, part of the reason being, because Vietnam is still a developing country, mm-hmm. so they, they want to leave Vietnam, so that's like, they're kind of hunting for, for guys like that. But those girls, I dated a few of them, honestly, I didn't find them interesting or captivating or anything like that, like, it just didn't click with me, like, I was, I was disappointed at some point, but... Eventually, I met uh, my girlfriend uh, now, and it just worked because she was also she was very like she's Western Westernized yeah. like uh, she's more into Western culture. She's not typical Vietnamese, um, and we just clicked. And like it's, hard to tell anything else. <laughs> it, it, yeah, if you were dating and, and there are girls who like wanted to go with you back home, that's a whole nother deal. That's a whole, like, then the whole thing is fake. It, it throws everything off. Then it's like, you don't know if it's if she's into you or not, or if it's just all part of the game, and she's just trying to get out of Vietnam. Well, yeah, that's the thing. So, especially when you're traveling, well, you're not looking for anything, like, long-term, right? Yeah. Like, you look something to have fun, to enjoy the country, to do something interesting. Um, but for us, like, we've been together we known each other for four or five years in total and before we got together we knew each other for a few years so it's kind of like uh it's, you're making sure that's the right person for you it's not yeah. like someone who wants to escape a country or yeah. like you know just getting to know each other yeah is that when you said you were in japan what's some of the differences between vietnam and japan because japan is very japan is very clean is it very clean very traditional it's insanely clean really traditional depends where you go like uh, again city city life countryside life countryside life is very slow city life is very busy like i lived in tokyo so tokyo is a 40 million something people 
Um, four zero? Fourteen or four D? Uh, four D. Like the Tokyo metropolitan area is like whole fourteen million people. <laughs> like that. Uh, Dude, that's that's like but they have that's twice the size of New York. That's insane. But they have great transportation, they're clean, they're safe, efficient, except that the culture is practically impossible to crack, at least to yeah. prove to me, like the way they do things, the way they think, it's just like, it's just the, the cultural gap was too big, I, I just couldn't live, like, I'm not saying to, like their culture is weird or anything like that, it's their culture, and I have, I have my own culture, and I just couldn't manage to blend in. I tried it for a year, learned the language, yeah. and then I'm like, okay, I'm done. Next. I've heard, um, because they, for a long time they were like the country, they're on an island, and they are isolated for a long time. They're not as receiving of expats coming into Japan. Uh, their views, and I say they, I mean not everybody, but views on other countries and whatnot, like it's a lot harder to mix in. And through businesses and working your way up a business, etc. When you're not from Japan and you're trying to infiltrate a Japanese company, a Japanese market, or like even the you know socially, it can be very difficult. You know, there's it's like a there's barriers to entry, so to speak, in Japan. That's a lot of truth. I I met a lot of foreigners who tried to work there, get a job, and uh, the stories uh, sometimes they borderline insane um not always i met foreigners who are happily employed there too um so it all depends but it's i think they're opening up a lot more uh last time i was in japan what three four years ago three maybe um and before that i met people who've been to japan like 15 years ago and they came back so uh, a decade passed they see massive change like signs in english like 15 years ago, not a single sign was in English. Now every sign is, uh, is both Japanese and English and even other foreign languages like Korean and Chinese. Um, they're definitely opening up. They definitely want more tourists. I'm not sure if they want more immigrants to work there, but I think Vietnam has uh, second largest uh, immigrants to Japan. Like um, uh, Taiwanese and Vietnamese would love to go to Japan and work there. Mm. So there's a it's just a matter of well, yeah, like, them breaking in. It's just a matter of get, them getting jobs, visas, and the whole nine. It's not always as feasible. Usually students go there like to study abroad and land jobs afterwards. Yeah. Um, common. Yeah. Well, that's good. So uh, looking at, a lot of people will, will recognize some of your work, so to speak. I started sharing. You had posted um, basically a classification system. If for powerlifting and, and powerlifting, yes. historically speaking, it's not as prevalent right now. But I remember when I first got into powerlifting, 2007, 2008 range, I remember almost every federation had a classification system, meaning if you hit this total in your weight class, you were this class of lifter. Then they had novice, beginner, um, you know, intermediate, then they had master, elites, etc. And Part of the reason for that is the use it to qualify for, let's say, nationals. Oh, if you hit a master level, you're qualified for nationals. And the other part, too, is um, there wasn't nearly as many people powerlifting. 
So you would have goals, if not, like if you show up at a powerlifting competition and no one's there, you still have goals to meet and you still know how you compare to the rest of the world or rest of the nation at least. Depends on whose classification it is. So it's it, we've kind of gone away from it a little bit. Um, I haven't seen classifications nearly as brought up. But when you brought it up, I saw some interesting stuff. The reason why is, here's why it's interesting to me. Sometimes social media can skew what you think is like a good total, a bad total, a mediocre total. Because you oftentimes, because of social media, see nothing but like Russell Orkies and Brett Gibbs and Brett yeah. Lewis and Ashton <laughs> Ruskas. So you get like, if these guys who are 83 kilo are totaling 800 kilo, you think, well, if you're totaling in the late 600s, you must be shit. You must be mediocre at best. And you it skews because the difference between you and Russell or Brett is over 100 kilo. My God, there's no way I'm, I'm very good at what I do. Yeah. But numbers, there's an expression I love. Men lie, women lie, numbers don't. Numbers don't, my friend. Well, <laughs> it, statistics can lie. <laughs> well, it depends on if you want to skew them, right? But um, your stats were showing, I think it was like six, in, for an 83 kilo male, for instance, um, so I was just saying, Russell, Brett, and all those guys, we have a few guys, not a lot actually, there's only three guys in the 83 kilo class, have, have, have totaled over 800. But 680, I believe, was um, an elite, total meaning yes, less less yeah. than less than three percent of of lifters around the world are going to hit that less than three percent not less than three percent of the general population if we're talking general population we're talking less than a percentile but of power lifters yeah. in the 83 kilo class less than three percent have 680 and up which is I mean, for, for me, that it was I I just I gravitate towards that because I'm an 83 kilo lifter. But I'm sure lifting, same as me. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. So that's why it's it's an easy barometer to wrap your head around. But anyone listening could probably get just by comparing 680 to 800, they could probably do the same thing in their own weight class when they look at your classifications. And anyone listening, I will post them up. I have already, but I'll do it again um, and put a link. Also in the description, if you're watching on YouTube, etc., so you could check these these uh, classifications out. But I think it really social media has really changed what we think is. I mean, this this you could blow this up to. This is what's going on in life. Period. Is comparison is going to rob you of reality? This is probably in life, social media in general. The way people are like, well, look how yeah, this person. You know what I mean? This is just. By the numbers, you see in powerlifting how skewed social media can change your outlook on things. But just looking at a powerlifting sense, my God, man, you're, you're, you, you hit an elite level total at 680 and up. And if you were to compare yourself to guys who are doing 800, you would think, well, I must be shit. I am pathetic. I, I don't, I'm a bad, I, I'm, I, I shouldn't even post my training videos because people are going to look funny at it. <laughs> When in reality, my friend, you are less than 3% of lifters could ever hit what you're hitting. Like, what, did, did you notice when you're putting these together, were you a little surprised yourself by the stats of it? Honestly, like, if I can back, uh, go let's, back a bit. Let's like, back it up. 
when you said like 2007, 2008, every Fed had their own classification. So I was competing back then too uh, in single ply, and they were like class four, three, two, one, master elite. So I could win a national meet with just hitting master. And like after a few wins of the nationals, like that's not more, that's not interesting anymore. Yeah. But I can't compete internationally because international level is way too high. So our federation had these standards, and once you reach the elite, they give you a certificate. That you reach the highest class uh, in your category. So that was actually very official. It's like uh, back then we didn't have social media like like we have now, right? And we even then, even now, we have classification for raw, which the numbers are actually very similar to what I posted. So elite uh, for 83 is 687 kg. So mine is 680. But um, my, uh, the Lithuanian Federation doesn't have world class. Like the top is elite, so 687. If you reach it, again, you get the certificate. And this is why I actually made those charts because I wanted something based on real numbers from open powerlifting data. Uh, but and I did it, and then I looked at the numbers. And I'm like, huh, Lithuanian standards are pretty on point. Hmm. So I'm like 688. I, I looked at it and like I can achieve that. I'm now 660, so 20 kilos. So I think the numbers made sense to me, but again, uh, the the standards went on Reddit. Uh, there were comments from other people, and if we look at the 93 category, the qualifiers for USAPL is six 742 kg, where world class is 762. Mm. So people are like, oh, so you're world class, but you don't. Well, you're almost world class, but you don't qualify to nationals. So people start complaining about that. But I'm like, I'm no authority. I just had fun with numbers and I published it and blew up, you know, like. Let, let me ask you how you did it, just so people understand that. Um, how, how you put these numbers together. Was it that you decided world class is, because elite was 2.6% of lifters. Is that right? Around there? Uh, let me you, check. Yeah. Uh, two point. Loading, loading, loading. Uh, world class was 0.63%. Elite was 2.28%. 2.28. And the reason I. Yeah. Yes. The reason I picked these numbers, well, first, I check the data, like, how is it distributed? I found the normal curve, you know, like, yeah, bell curve. Uh, which, on average, it was actually very well distributed. There was no heavy tail on the on the lower end or on the higher end. And I thought, okay, so how do I uh, separate all those classes? I thought, okay, standard deviations make a lot of sense. But then, like, I did one standard deviation, two, and they tried doing three, and then suddenly there's only like one guy who qual qualifies as a world class, you know, like, so that, that didn't make sense. So I shifted back to 2.5. But then um, at some classes, if you look at the lower classes, especially because there's a lot more younger lifters, uh, like there are a lot more people in the lower end. So I'm like, okay, standard deviation is probably not the best idea, but what if I took the percentages of those deviations, like 0.63, and just apply them, like, 
I didn't think much of it. I'm not a statistician, so any guy who knows statistics would probably destroy me on this. But I just like I plugged in the numbers. I'm like, I checked the classes. I compared to the other like uh, there's a uh, USPA standards. I think they're still online. They're pretty old. Mm-hmm. Um, I compared compared with Lithuanian standards. Uh, I'm like, numbers make sense. And I just published it, and suddenly it blew up. Yeah. Oh, it blew up. Here's the thing. Um, people need goals and people need to be able to, it, it was, I think, an understanding. Here's what it is. Put it this way. If people can get past the fact that 2.8% you decided, if you make the top 2.8%, you're elite. It's not so much for myself anyways, that um, 2.8% makes you elite. Someone could say, well, I would like to say top 3% makes you elite. Fine. The point that the biggest takeaway I got from it was the the point that I made earlier that it actually grounds you in far more reality based. I think when I shared those on King of the List, the amount of reshares we got, my friend, all over the world, people were resharing this. And um, I think it was eye opening for them like it was eye opening for me. What was reality? What was actually reality in terms of how you stood up and realizing Amanda Lawrence, Heather Connor, Russell Ori, Ashton Ruska are so far outliers that it's almost like they're on another sport. And if you're watching the World Championships or U.S. Raw Nationals or European Championships or whatever, it can get skewed to where you actually rest at. So that's why I think, you know, people are maybe focusing, anyone who's got anything negative to say about it, are focusing too much on where you chose to make the class, all right, fine. You have to choose one of them. And and you can argue that all day. There is no right and wrong answer. It should be 2.6. It should be 3%. There is no right and wrong answer. But the fact that you got to see 680 makes you 2.8% of the population is, that's the big eye-opener right there for everybody in every class. You know, were, were you shocked when you saw that yourself? Were you like, oh my God, is this right? Um, that's the thing. Like I've been working with open powerlifting data for quite some time. So every number I, I get, it doesn't surprise me much. I try to manipulate everything. Like sometimes I try to exclude some classes, sometimes uh, mash everything together. For example, uh, I try doing untested and tested together, specific classes like 82.5, 83, basically this one class or 74, 75. And these numbers, like when I got them, for me, what made what was interesting was the advance, like the 50%. I named the people contested my naming too, like advanced 50%. So like, but anyway, like when I saw that, what can 50% of the people can do for me? Like, huh, that's actually, that's good. That's good. If you're advanced, you're pretty good. More than 50% of the people you're doing this number. Yeah. And again, this is 50% of the lifting population, not the general population walking the street. Amongst the general, amongst, these are like competitive powerlifters. If you sign up for a powerlifting competition, you're in the gym and you're working away at this. You know, I mean, that includes, of course, that includes beginners, but that also includes the Russell Orhees of the world. Everybody is included in this. So you rest on the top 50%. If you want to talk to general population, I mean, I thought... It was it was staggering to think, oh my god, top 2.8 for the elite class. 
um, of all lifters, and I was surprised at some of the numbers. Imagine the general population of the world. It would be insane to wrap your head around how strong of a human being. There were actually, there were actually comments from people like, "No way in hell that's real. Like that's too big. The numbers are too big." Like there were both camps commenting like, "Really? Powerlifters obviously saw they like, oh these numbers are too low, but." General Gen Pop like was, damn, I'm not even advanced. Like I'm only intermediate, and like that doesn't make sense. I thought that was the top guy in the gym, you know, and like yeah, no, you're not know, apparently. You know what? I can see that too because I love how we just classified them as Gen Pop. It sounds like a fucking Korean band. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like the lamest <laughs> Korean band of all time. But um, no, but Gen Pop, I can see that because. I, I, as King of the List, I get people sending me videos saying, will you repost this? And it's like, not even close to, look at, you know, as King of the List, we're trying to profile the elite because we're trying to be like a sports, you know, sports broadcasting for powerlifting. And people aren't trying to see, you know, intermediate level highlights. It's just, okay, tell me. Like the major leagues, right? Like any sports broadcaster, tell me the major yeah, leagues. Yeah. Um, maybe some up and coming prospects or etc. It's not against the, like a, against the rules to do so. But some people thought they were amongst the elite and send videos in sometimes. And it would, sh- like you just said, it would shock you. Where I'm like, my friend, you are a hundred and five kilo male lifter, and I have sixty three kilo women tested. Who, who will destroy you. Like, it, this isn't... What are we talking about? No. I, I'm sorry. Yeah, reality I, check. <laughs> reality checks. Yeah, I guess I guess all around there are some reality checks that are needed. But, um, yeah, I thought it was uh, it was intriguing to see. And I'm wondering... Like, I, I think it's important to have some kind of standards for people to chase. Not only to base it more on reality, but also so people know where they rest at. But also setting goals across nations so you know where you're at. Wherever you're competing in, you know now you have certain goals to try to hit. And these numbers are fairly recent, are they not? They This just came out. Did you Was this December or November? This is, uh, the data is from October 24th. Okay. And I do not believe that I tried doing with November and December, I think, and I barely saw any change. Gotcha. Well, gotcha. The law and normal distribution like there's some good guys there are a lot of bad guys and it's just like it doesn't change much so yeah. uh, i could redo it with the january data but it's probably going to be more or less the same yeah yeah and uh, one thing one thing you said is about that having a standard that globally recognized uh open power lifting is becoming the calling card of a lifter like uh if you're not there who are you yeah so open power lifting has the power standardize those things they have the power to say okay we do it like this maybe they have a, a like a higher statistician not a random guy like me and if they have this information on the page every single person can check that and like okay so i am better than 50 percent, or like i'm elite or master whatever the label is it doesn't matter but i think that would be great to have like you said like reality check for some lifters and some motivation for people who think that their numbers are not that great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's and that's really the thing where um, I, I think people are focusing on the wrong thing if they're talking about semantics, like the wording of a class. Who 
Who cares what the wording of the class was? That's not the point. Call it whatever you yeah, want exactly. to call it, right? Call it's um it's more of knowing where you rest at. You know, I mean, you could change it up. I mean, look, here's top five percent. Here's top one percenters. Here's the one percenters. However, it is you get a good barometer, anyways, uh, of a read from it. Are are you talking about how like it's not in terms of the it moving from month to month into November, October, or sorry, November, December, um, and not being great. Do you have a plan on possibly doing this on an annual basis, updating, or here's like here's your 2020, here's your 2021, or or stuff like that in the future, or have you thought about doing stuff like that? I mean, I can do practically anything. Like, uh, it's not a huge job to do, like quarterly, yearly. The problem is, like, like I said, the recognition. Like, it's right now the way I see it, it's a fun number to look at, but it it doesn't have the authority for it. Like, uh, it just it just some dude that made some charts, you know, like, and not probably not even correctly, you know, like you have to remove some data, filter data properly, and I didn't do that because I I had a hundred followers on my Instagram account, and like. I love numbers. I just sat one day and made the charts and so the open powerlifting sharing, you're sharing and and now if I have to remake them and do it proper, I would probably need consulting from actual mathematicians and do it properly. So, okay, so this is like the golden standard. Uh, let's follow it, you know? Yeah, my man, I would absolutely love to, to do exactly that. In terms of an authority on powerlifting, um, I mean, what's an authority on powerlifting? If we're talking a federation or if we're talking, they, a lot of them have their, some, some of them have classifications already or they have, um, you know, qualifiers for their nationals, whatnot. But in terms of like an authority on powerlifting, just for reach, like a common community, I would love to get involved for my hand to ring and say, look, let's, we could, we could post these for people. And um, and it's part of just like the the spreading, just like King of Lifts already does in terms of disseminating information, and and people being able to see where they rest at and being able to compare realistically to the rest of the world. I would totally be game for that and help establish this for everybody to know where they rest. And if it takes a little bit of jigging back and forth, and we go, all right, all right, everybody, let's pull the masses. And we got a pretty good sense of the masses and say, what percentile do you want to see world class? What percentile? We can pull the numbers and we can make it happen. You know, if we all agree within an idea of, or what are we, you know what I mean? And then all of a sudden you start building that things can take off. Federations can start using it. Well, one thing that you can actually contest is where you should choose a percentage. Um, one thing, like when I was doing the, I actually have the numbers, when I was doing the different classes, you had like almost 100 lifters who are world class in 93, in 84, a bit less, 105, a bit less. But when you went to the outliers, like 59 or even 53 class or 120, suddenly you have a handful of lifters who are considered world class. So the question is, is that fair? What about the, the, the well, for example, top 10, maybe top 20, top 100? Yeah. But if you take a top 100 of a, a smaller class, and then those lifts are not impressive then because the lifter pool is a lot smaller. 
So yeah. percentage is just one way of looking at it. And I've been racking my head about how to go in a different way about it. So far, I have nothing. You know so what? If anyone has ideas how to classify, because you can take, okay, top 100 of every category, but then again, 93 or 83 is the most competitive category. So being top 100 in a 93 is probably more impressive than from, from 10,000 lifters, more impressive than being top 100 for 1,000 lifters. So again, it's something that needs some consideration. You know what? And that is why IPF points have people because it's based. IPF points, I believe, is, is uh, with stats, standard deviations away from the rest of the pack. And why some people don't like how the 120s and the 120-pluses, kilo classes, some of those classes, they don't like how it stacks up with the IPF points. But it, it comes down to, just like you said, where, look, at in terms of standard deviations away and, and how many lifters in the talent pool... 93, 83, et cetera, are going to be extremely competitive. You know, because you, there's how many people are walking the face of the earth that fall into that middle range. And then once you start lifting weights, well, it's a normal weight. distribution. It's, it's, that's right. it's something that's natural, like your height, your strength, your, your, your mass. It's, it's, everything is followed the same law. So, um, again, question of interpretation, I guess. Like, how do you want to, how do you want to do it? Yeah. Yeah. It's true. We'd have to come to a common consensus there. Um, but I mean, I do think the classes you found right there were pretty... I like how you did a world-class one over top of Elite. Previously, I remember just seeing Elite on some of these classifications I had seen in the past without a step above being world-class. And if you just left it there at Elite, like a lot of national federations do, anyone who was world-class would look at this and be like, are you kidding me? There's no way that's... I destroy that. How is that possible? If you did that, that shouldn't make you elite. And the fact that you actually put, well, no, 2.8% in the world of a sport makes you pretty damn elite. If we were the NHL, NBA, NFL, probably you're going to make the NFL, NBA, NHL if you're 2.8% of professional athlete in your sport. However, you're thinking... You're thinking, like, this lifter doesn't realize you're the LeBron James of the NBA. You're the, you know, insert, you know, the Wayne Gretzky of the NHL. So, so there's a difference between elite making the big leagues. So if you're a hockey player, you make the NHL. But within the NHL, there is a massive difference between a guy who just made the team and a guy who's the star of the team. There's a massive difference. We all know that. And I think in yeah. powerlifting, that's what your stats showed people. No, no, they are elite hitting these numbers. It's just there's a gulf between elite and the, the true outliers at the top, the stars amongst the elite. And, um, and I like that, that that brought that up. I think that's surprising to some people. Some people take it for granted. True, true. Um, what are some of the other stats you saw that were kind of surprising? Because we had talked about and I was like, let's talk about some stats, my friend. Uh, both on numbers of lifters, both on, you know, let's see some stats that you've got that you thought were pretty interesting. Um, okay, so if we're putting down the, the strength standards, I mean, I did both uh, IPF points, uh, dots, wilks, like, but that's like more or less, you hit 500, you're world class. Um, so that's probably not interesting because it's from the same from the same same category but uh i think remember you shared the 
meat count and athlete count yeah. uh, for the affiliation of which fed. So I have the most recent data, uh, which is from January. And when it comes to meats, 2018 and 2019, IPF had less meats, at least according to open powerlifting data. Before that, every year the meats went up to 906, and this year only 850. Um, but I, I think it's because we still don't have all the data from 2019, so we're still lagging some data. And because that happened not only with IPF, it also happened with uh, non-affiliated meats. It got less. Um, from untested side, IPL keep growing uh, every year, even 2019. Uh, that's the, the major player in untested. Every other federation besides IPF and IPL, it's they're tiny. They're compared to them, they're like nothing. Like even their combination. Um, okay, so 38% of the meats are from in IPF, IPF affiliated. IPL is 13, and if you combine everything else that's affiliated somehow, it's 16%. All together. So all the other, yeah, all the other federations barely pass IPL, and none of them even come close to IPF. But there are a lot of non-affiliated meets, which, uh, according to Open Up Powerlifting uh, owner, the guy, the it's it might be because we don't have enough information who's affiliated with who. Like the information is not correct, so all these numbers we should look with care. We we don't know exactly, um, but one thing that really strikes me is like I listened your previous podcast uh, where you talked about the stagnation, and there are some signs that 2019 kind of slows down, and that's not only from the meat count, that's also from the athlete count, where. Um, IPF stayed relatively the same in 2018 and 19. Um, IPL grew. Um, Non-affiliated also grew. Everything else not worth mentioning because there's so little. Like there's like GPC or GPA or all these like very tiny federations compared to the the big the big players. So for me, from all this data, like what what kind of worries me is that I don't see growth, and I hope it's because we just don't have the data yet in the database. Like, I still want powerlifting to keep growing nonstop, you know, like just keep exponentially expanding and becoming more popular. Yeah. I'm, okay. So, a couple of takeaways that I find interesting. A, for anyone listening who's from one of those smaller feds, I get people hitting me up saying, um, "Are you going to profile the this federation's drug tested nationals?" And it's not an IPF affiliate. And it's like, my friend, if you're in that community and you think, "Hey, these are pretty strong guys," again you're going to start becoming eye-opener if you went to the IPF drug testing nationals like USAPL and you actually see what an, a real national level competition would look like and it's not comparable. It's not even close. The amount of lifters and to rise to the top of a talent pool is which is much bigger which like numbers don't lie, much bigger is much harder. So you're gonna see a lot bigger lifts, etc. So that's why I can only do a profile of, of so many competitions of the year. And on top of that, no disrespect, but I don't want to do you know a profile of preview shows or major highlights on King of Lifts of 
a competition that might not be amongst the elite at, at the very least. And I think some people, before they hear this, don't even realize the, the difference between the depth of competition from this federation's drug tested nationals to, let's say, the USAPL. It's not close. It's not even remotely close. If you're an IPF affiliate and, and, you're, and you're lifting in it, or if you're a federation that's drug tested but not IPF affiliate, the competition level is not even in the same ballpark. And that's why it's, if you're, if you're a drug tested lifter, if you're drug free and you want to lift in a division like that, you got to join the IPF if you want to be in a, in a federation that and try to make it to a real national level. Because powerlifting already is niche. We already don't have our pick of the litter when it comes to the athletic youth. You know, we are, we are football, soccer, baseball, hockey. They're going to get the pick of the litter. To further, water it, to further water it down to an even smaller fed beyond the leading fed, if you're going to be a drug tested lifter, it starts becoming, why are we, you know, no, I'm probably not going to put a lot of attention to that. Untested. The IPF is tested. If you want to lift untested, sure, I'll take a look at that because we have to, you know, they they deserve some spotlight as well. Let's take a look at that. Yeah, obviously. But, yeah, but when it comes to tested, you know, the talent pool is over in this sandbox. If you're not in that sandbox, you're playing, you're, you're a big fish in a small pond and it might dilute what you think you're doing, right? The significance of what you're doing. And that's, that's even... That, that's not even taking into account the fact that they're lifting with a deadlift bar, which is going to increase, that could increase their deadlifts and in, false increase their total. That's I true. Say, I say false, false in the side-by-side -side comparison uh, rendition in terms of like comparative. Yeah, that's the thing with the rules, right? Like every fed has its own rules and 24-hour wins, deadlift bars, and even different deadlift bars are which I experienced firsthand like a week ago, Texas deadlift bar and Rome deadlift bar, completely different beasts. And fortunately for me, I was accounting for that, so it well, went well, but the feeling was insanely different. And if you compare it to stiff bar, I'm like, you can't compare those things. Like, no. just doesn't work that way. Anyone who tries to say that there's no difference definitely competes on the deadlift bar. <laughs> <laughs> anyone, anyone who tries to tell you, no, no difference, the exact same thing, very minimal difference, you definitely pull on a deadlift bar and you're trying to kid yourself. There is definitely a difference. Um, so, so and it doesn't require much weight. That's that's another thing. Like people say, oh, you need to load like 300 kilos to feel the difference. I'm like, no, you don't. No. It's, it's, it's not even close. Like I have a Texas deadlift bar and I know how it feels and with what weight I start to feel that. I'm exploiting the, 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 the bend of the bar. Yeah. Just, no, no, that's silly. I don't it's know. Silly. It's, uh, again, it's, it's yeah. Um, but, yeah, I do, going back also to what we were talking about with the growth of powerlifting and how, you know, it's interesting that there are signs possibly we're hitting a bit of a plateau. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to plateau now forever. These things happen. It might mean... Look, powerlifting has done an amazing job adapting to social media. We have our own, like, podcasts, the social media communities, uh, like King of the Lifts and whatnot. Like, other sports, they try to. Some of these niche sports, you watch the Olympics. There's a million niche sports nobody cares about until the Olympics roll around. 
<laughs> okay, so you have you have sports like water polo. Water polo is in the Olympics, but water polo doesn't have a community on Instagram like powerlifting does. Water polo doesn't have live streams like powerlifting does, or stars that have like a million followers like powerlifting does. Um, so what powerlifting has done with social media is like we've we've ex- we might have not for sure. But the numbers show we might have exhausted what we can get out of social media. It makes sense because, my God, have we done amazing with social media. We've really milked every last nook and cranny, every last penny out of social media. So perhaps, perhaps, and I'm just theorizing, it's not so much that powerlifting will stop growing. It's just we have to find other avenues and venues to continue to grow because we're starting to cap ourselves off with what the current is offering. What do you think about that? <clears throat> China, Vietnam. Yeah, well, there That's you go. That's what I think. My man, you're 100% right. Yes. New China. influx of new lifters from countries that just joined like uh, IPF or any other fed, like especially Southeast Asia, uh, becoming a big thing in Vietnam and China. I think the stagnation, even if we have one, won't last long. The competitive level will go up, more lifters will show up, and I'm hoping for a bright future. Dude, um, <laughs> we, we just came full circle, my friend, but 100%. Um, people who, and again, man, people call me an IPF shill sometimes, but what the IPF is doing when they when they look to integrate other nations within, and, and, and nobody's leading that charge like the IPF is. No other federation has... A, as many lifters, like we already said, but B, as many nations, and are actively pursuing bringing in other nations, not on a small level of, hey, I, I'm based out of the U.S., I approached a gym in China and said, do you want to join the federation? You got 20 people, and we pretend, oh, we got a, we got a Chinese federation as well. No, 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 no. We're talking on a for real level, bringing in like a full nation with several gyms attached, etc. I think you're 100% right. Perhaps with the current format in the current nations, eventually you can hit certain plateaus. But worldwide, globally, and the world's a big place, if you could keep spreading out and growing and grabbing, like China's absolutely massive. And they love sports. Insane. And China loves sports. They're sport. Look at the Olympics, how competitive and how competitive they take it. You know, they are a very competitive nation. China, Vietnam, uh, you know, Malaysia. And these are these are massively dense um, in terms of population nations. You know the talent pool they could bring to the table. Yeah, maybe maybe we are just now we can we the powerlifting in five years can be completely different. That's true. That's true. Uh, the only thing like I wish that non-tested side was like that too, like IPF, like big fed that takes over most of the untested meets and like. If someone wants to compete in untested, they compete in untested. They want to compete in tested, it's IPF. So basically two major players. I think that would do great things for powerlifting. Because right now we have so many feds. Like I can count on my screen right now, like 15, 20 feds, like with 10 meets a year globally. And like, who cares about them? Why are they even there? Like, I want the big fed that my results are actually recognized. It doesn't matter if it's tested or untested. Like, I don't want to compete in small ones where like, oh, so you're a world record holder, like in, in what fed? How many athletes you have? Oh, uh, less than a thousand. Like, what's that? Yeah, it, it, 
not only that, and that's 100% right, like it dilutes what a national record, world record, what a national champion, world champion is. But it also dilutes, like I've seen polls up before where what do you want to see more? Someone breaking records or showdowns? People actually competing against each other head to head. Overwhelmingly, it's showdowns. And it, it obviously, it totally makes sense. I don't give a fudge. I'm not watching an American football team to see how far you could kick a ball and how far you could throw a ball. I want to see you do it on the field, in play, against opposition, and it's toe-to-toe dramatic stuff. So when it comes to powerlifting, it's, hey, so-and-so is showing up essentially unopposed, but they might or might not hit a world record. We'll see. That's good. It's good. For sure it's good. But I would prefer if it's a showdown like John Hack versus Brett Gibbs 2016 or Russell Orhee versus Brett Gibbs 1819. Like it's when it's toe to toe or the battle of the 105s, battle of the 74. Yeah, that's what you want to watch. That's what you want to see. It's like not, not some Instagram post like, oh, I broke a record at some unnamed meet, you know? Like, Great. That doesn't mean anything. It means nothing. And you take a look at the competition, yeah. like, and it looks like it's at a local gym. And it's just like that. We're not going to get anywhere like that. That's not how you're not going to get like when you watch Olympic sports, they have actual competitions and it's deep and it's competitive and it's exciting to watch for a million different reasons. But not just, well, if he hits the record, he hits it. If he doesn't, he doesn't. So, yeah, that's one of the reasons why I think it'd be great if on the untested side, they could amalgamate under one banner. I don't I don't care what banner amalgamate under one banner. And then we can actually see these showdowns like Big Dogs. I love that Big Dogs exists because they have conceivably all the best super heavyweight untested all going head to head. And sometimes Big Dogs doesn't produce the biggest total that year. But what people start understanding, when it comes to sport, you load the bar to win when it gets competitive. When nobody else is around, you don't load the bar to win. You load the bar for the record. And this is where some people get mad at me when people talk about, like in the untested especially, they're chasing certain records, certain Wilkes records and certain whatever. And I'm like, it's a little different. If you hit that record in a competition, nobody else was there. And you could just load the bar with what you needed for the record. Or if it was like Steffi Cohen and Mariana Kasparian, where you have someone on your heels and you have to load the bar for the win first, Record second, it's it's an entirely different ball game, my friend. Yeah. When, that's when, true. That's true. That's so true. When you're at the World Championship for powerlifting, the IPF, you lift. Some people are like, why was your total slightly down? Because you couldn't take chances. If you miss your third, you lose, and you can go from first to fourth. It's so competitive. Whereas if yeah. no, if if nobody else is there, load up for the third. If I miss, who gives a shit? Because I'm the only one there anyways. And, and if I hit yeah, it, exactly. I break the record. And for people who don't know, th- these are the same people that have conversations. They might not realize at this level when it comes to winning, not records, but winning, how meat handling, how, how the proper handling and strategizing game day is uber important. At a local level, it doesn't matter. You're showing up for whatever, for certain numbers. At the top end level, there's... So gym basically, gym meet basically, like yeah. you just go do the numbers and you're done, like... Max out, just max out. It's basically a max out contest because okay. at the top level, there's tons of strategizing. If you haven't been there, 
You know, I'm not going to get into all the strategy right now. It's a whole other episode, but there was tons of strategizing at the world level where, you know, if it's to win and not just a random number you're trying to get at, and if there's no one chasing you or anything like that anyways, to win, there's tons of strategy involved when it comes to lot number, when it comes to, you know, getting chips involved, when it comes, like, you know, everything. So, uh, and some people just don't realize this, especially when they first come in the game. The first year, two years, not realizing where they're at in terms of the federation they're in. Are they in the top fed? What's the difference between your nationals and an IPF nationals if you're tested? Uh, what, what the difference is with handling? I, I wonder, I don't know, but I wonder, because the untested doesn't have nearly the depth of competition the IPF has, how many of their handlers actually are top-end handlers like they think they are? I don't want to be controversial here. I'm not putting anyone down. I'm sure they got some people who understand the game. I'm sure there are some people. But the amount of... Because, I look, it, don't tell me, show me type deal. I'm that guy. So if you have handled at the IPF Worlds five years in a row, I believe you that you understand the difference in how handling is approached. But if you are in an untested division where almost all the time your lifters are showing up essentially unopposed and all you need to do is max out, I don't necessarily believe you that you're an excellent handler. And you can tell me, well, I got this, I handled this guy to that world record. He went in there knowing what the record was and just load the bar at the record on my third. That's not, that's not. Easy job, easy job. Easy job. It's entirely different when you go to the IPF Worlds and and it's like the depth of competition is you have to win. And some people don't understand. I, I wonder, I don't know, but I wonder if there is like a marked difference between handling skills and that's not a stat you could pull out it's more competency so it's a little different yeah i have fair share of those myself like a lot of i've been i visited a lot of world european championships and i've seen how it's done i had to do some of myself and like that's like more stressful than being the lifter yourself like where you just have to go and lift the bar but when you do have to do the math like everything lot numbers body weight and like attempts Man, I don't like that. I don't want to do that. No. <laughs> Better be on the platform lifting myself. Listen, on the world level, they have percentages of, um, like when Team USA goes against you, they know, oh, Ryan Lapidat, his percentage of third attempt deadlifts is 33%. Almost never hits. So, and if we look at, oh, this is what he's got loaded on the bar, he hasn't hit that previously. So that might even drop further. They're doing, I mean, I'm telling you, it's like Moneyball. They, they, in terms of percentages, they crunch, they have dossiers on people. You don't need to do that in the untested when you're basically lifting unopposed, chasing a Wilkes record or a divisional record, and it's just load the bar on your third attempt with whatever gives you that. It's not the same. It's checkers and chess. And I'm not trying to put, I'm sure, again, I'm sure there are probably some untested um, coaching staff that understand handling, but if you haven't had to, and you haven't, like I've, I've been to enough IPF worlds now. I'm blessed enough to to do the commentary, to be involved, ask questions. It's fucking eye opening. People don't understand the level of scouting. Even you know, I've had discussions with people, and they're like, you know, you just, I could, I could handle two different lifters on two different teams. Whoever's stronger wins. If you believe that, then you're not following the sport. That's not 
That's not how it goes. That's not how it goes on the top world level. That's just not the case. Not anymore, anyways. I don't know, maybe it used to be. Or maybe in some federations it is, but at the world level, it's, you know, it's, it's, it comes down to chess. It's very stressful stuff. Um, and I think it is, it's, it's a different game, isn't it? And I think, um, I want to, I, I want to, maybe I, I'll devote a podcast to just that because that's a whole nother, I want to get diverted off, but I think with the introduction of China and Vietnam, um, and you know how competitive these nations are with sports. I mean, the Chinese government, the way they push their athletes into sports, scout from a very young age, and, so, and when they make a push, they make a push. We might, you know, whenever whenever more people enter the fold and a talent pool rises, from handling and scouting to the athletes themselves, you got to riot, you got to raise your game. Standards go up. That's going to be, that's going to be very hard. In top three places, the difference between the lifters is like five kilos. It's like, it's going to be more interesting to watch for one. Like these kind of close competitions where everyone is so close to each other, like, and the level obviously will have to go up of all the handlers. And I'm happy, man. Like I, I want to see that. Like that's, that's, that's fun. You know, like you see best guys go against each other and like they have best teams behind them. And like, well, it'll be interesting in the next five years. Or so. What are some of the other stats that you had found, um, you had crunched a couple. What's a couple you want to throw out there that you think might be surprising? Um, okay, so uh, recently I wrote an article about, I mentioned before, about uh, natural talent and steroids and what matters more. And did some number crunching. And if we assume that, for example, four standard deviations is like, one in a million chance of having a person that tall, that big, or that strong. I predicted that under 83 tested four standard deviations, best result would be 865 kg. What did Gibbs do a few weeks ago? Was it 867? 802. 862.5. Oh, wow. So, so if we assume that like, Four standard deviations from average is like freaks of nature, which is very common. Three, four deviations is like the, these are the best lifters, uh, best athletes in the world. So if we assume tested and 865 for Gibbs, and he actually did 862, I'm like, no way, that's just going to coincidence. Because I actually feel that, uh, for example, 83, they can do more. In tested, they can do probably up to 900. We haven't seen the true talent yet. We need another five, ten years. We're gonna see some monsters. So that's one number crunching I did. Um, that's insane. First besides off, that, four, before you move on, real quick, four standard deviations are away from the rest of the pack. That's freaking so elite. Imagine five, six standard deviations away from the pack. We're talking, you know, like that's like God amongst men type situation. That's like when, when, when like you know, Superman descends to the rest of the population that's insane to think about when you're that far well ahead. if the pays well if the pays in powerlifting were the same as like for example basketball or nhl or any popular pro sport i mean we'd see some crazy stuff like i right now powerlifting well it's a niche sport yeah. we have to admit that it doesn't pay well unless you're top top dog um but if it did like 
I don't know, man. Like, we haven't reached the potential yet. Like, uh, we can probably see bigger numbers. And that's like what another thing I did. I compared year to year. For example, 83 class. On average, uh, 2000, I can actually check, 2012, I think, the average was something along the lines of uh, 500 kg under 83. But in 2019, it's 520. Yeah, I see that now. And uh, that's not a big difference, right? No, like it's you know, 20 kg average. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a little surprised there. But it's an average. That is the thing. Like, But right now, we have a lot more lifters who, for example, like, let's take, okay, 650 kg, 700 kg total under 83. Um, I did all myself, like 660 what I did, and I compare, like I would be, in 2012, I would be 14 in the world, ranked 14. In 2019, I'm ranked in 83, um, 300 something, 350. Oh, There's so much more, wow. so much more people who do that number even though the average doesn't move much because there's an influx of new lifters, weaker lifters, there are a few freaks that appear, the average doesn't move much, but one, we have also have social media, we keep seeing these lifts, these big lifts, and like, so 660, and you look back then, oh man, like I would be like top three in the world, you know, like <laughs> something like that. But right now, you don't need to register because there's so many people who can do that because we have a, lot, a much larger talent pool, like, Wait, what were the numbers? Like, the first few years, I think it was, uh, how many lifters in under 83 when the raw just picked up? Yeah. Um, uh, I th okay, so 400, 700, 1300, that's the 11, 12, and 13. But now if you look at 17, 18, 19, it's 5,400. 6,000, 6,200. Yeah. We have so much more lifters, and there's so much more lifters that are doing those numbers that on average it didn't change much, but right now your numbers don't mean anything anymore because they don't even register on the scale of like what top 3, 10, or even top 100. So I got you. So basically, yeah, the difference at the top, especially if it's two and a half kilo, you're real close. Like two and a half kilo might separate, you know. A, a bunch of different lifters. A bunch of different lifters could be clustered within two and a half kilo. So the average might look a little different than the actual ranking. Because the ranking itself, yeah, you could get pushed way down the rankings because at the top end, you know, we've seen that the IPF Worlds, how competitive it could be, where you have a cluster of just phenomenal lifters just shoot you down the rankings and you're somewhere, the more in the middle of the pack, you get stuck. And to try to break free and push ahead in a deep talent pool is extremely difficult. That is so true, um, and I think it's just going to get deeper. So these numbers, when I crunch them, like, yeah, I need to work more. It's <laughs> my total. It's not great. Um, I guess one more thing, last thing that we can do, like, if you want to know how many lifters can do a specific number, I can give you exactly those numbers. For example, if we take um, raw SBD, uh, both tested and untested, so I didn't separate, but full powerlifting meet. Uh, raw total, uh, 2,400 pounds, only one person, and that's Ray Williams. Oh. Uh, I'm not including racks, because racks are like, uh, yeah. so there's probably even more than that, but if you do pure raw, it doesn't matter, tested and untested. In the 
It didn't even happen until 2017. 17, 18, 19, Ray Williams is the guy who did that. And if you look at the 2300, it's only seven people. Hmm. Um, that's like these strongest guys on the planet and like only one guy who does 2400 and like seven guys who do 23. I can basically give you any number you want on any list. So if you want to ask something specific, just ask. I plug in you, and we have the numbers. Let me see right now how many people raw do a 500-pound squat, 227.5 kilo squat. That's a uh, I'm doing everything in pounds, so no problem. You can talk in pounds. Uh, squats. Okay. Well, just for people squats, listening, because some people are from Europe, that's 227 kilo. Because the reason why I ask, recently there was somebody who wrote an article in a video or whatever saying how to squat 500 pounds. And Sean Noriega had said, you know, honestly, you just got to lift weights for two to three years. You'll probably get there. And I thought, well, I mean, there's a lot of people who get there. But then I thought, is that social media messing with our minds again? And we're overestimating or we're underestimating how difficult it is to get the 500. Maybe it's more elite than we think. I mean, maybe not elite, but or maybe it is elite. I don't know. But Okay. So I lifted squat 225. So I'm not even in a 500 club yet. Okay, see? Okay. How many lifters can do 500? 18,550. And that's including uh, untested. Is that, is that with that's, sleeves? Uh, yeah, that's uh, just sleeves, tested, untested. So they're like almost 19,000 people who squat 500. That's actually a big number, and I'm still not in it. Well, but that's also including guys <laughs> the size of Ray Williams who are also on PEDs, right? Uh, I can actually do testing if you want. Like that's... do testing. Let's see testing. Doesn't... Let's trim it a little bit. Let's okay, take let's, let's take the extra it. variables out. Let's say just a natural dude trying to hit this. Okay, let's run the numbers. Yeah, I was never a good squatter for me. Like, never went up. <laughs> Is a deadlift your thing or bench? Um, like, depends how you look at it. Like, if you look at my bench, I would register in the middle of the pack in a European Championship. Like, 160, 162 maybe. Um, deadlifts, 280, that's in KG, uh, but that's a deadlift bar. Um, I'm switching to a stiff bar now, so... Ah, okay, we have the numbers. Almost 13,000 tested. Chopped it up a little bit. That hit... 1,300, 13,000 people. So, yeah. So, so, sorry. I so, mean, maybe. Are, are you saying. Okay, go for it. Um, 13,000 people can squat 500 or have ever squatted 500 or can currently, like in the last year type deal? Ah, if you, if you look at the. Okay, so I, I gave you the numbers from 2010 to 2019, where basically Raw started, So, but I can give it by the year. So if we look at 2019, 4,879 people Across who did 500. Yeah. 2018, 4,600, so more or less the same. And then it starts to drop off rapidly, like uh, 
back in 2012, for example, it's only 540 people. Holy so basically, the number smokes. So 2012, you squat 500, you're a boss. People are like, oh wow, you are like. It doesn't matter if you're a heavyweight squatting 500. Like you could be a big man in 2012. You squat 500 pounds, you're something else. 2019, you squat 500 pounds, it's tough to register. Wow, that's a difference, my friend. That is a crazy... From when the IPF first went went uh, raw, unequipped, to now, I can't even... That's, that's insane what you have to do to get break ahead now. You see the yeah, difference? It, and it keeps getting worse every year. <laughs> like, the numbers just go up and up. Well, did you see the difference? So for... Cool. For people asking... Like why I keep harping about, I want to, if you want me to cover your federation, I need to see a deep talent pool. That's what talent pool does. When the talent pool swells, it becomes like 26 times harder to get to certain levels, man. It is so true. I wonder what, how 600 look. So 600, probably a lot less. I think that'll be the big drop off. Slowly running. There's a lot of data to process, but okay. Um, all from 2010, 2451. 20, For 2019, 1026. Oh, so that's like fourfold drop in terms of who can do 600. But that's like include all the heavyweights. Like we're not talking about scrubs like us, like 83 and lower, you know, like yeah, we're talking yeah. about the big guys. So for them, yeah, like you can squat 500 if you weigh like 200 pounds or more, you know, like, but if you weigh less than that, 500 is for an average guy. Yeah. That's pretty damn hard and impressive if you can do that. You know what? So, and that's just it. Here, once again, is where social media can skew, you know, you, you have like, like when Sean Ariega posts that up, for him, he might not even know because he's an eight, he's one of only three 800 kilo totaling 83 kilo lifters. So he is the tip of the spear, Sean Noriega. So when he thinks 500, he might not think, oh, it can't be that hard to get to. But if you take out your opinion and what you might think and what you might anecdotally take a look at around you, well, the athletes I train, etc., they might be, again, tip of the spear people who are buying premium service packages and going to the top of code. In terms of the overall population, the gen pop, if you will, uh, of powerlifting, 500 is still going to be pretty tough to hit. I mean, I know from experience, it's pretty hard to lift. Yeah. I'm still two and a half kilos away. How many? Can, let me take a look just to further this. Let's go down the rabbit hole a stitch more. How many 83 kilo lifters squatted 500 pounds in 2019? How about that? Uh, how many 83 kilo lifters? Kilo. Squatted 500 pounds in 2019. Let's okay. 500. Run. Hopefully everything is correct. Should be a, not a very big number. I don't think so. Okay, okay, okay. Hmm. Um, 2019, 
518 people in 83 who squat 500. And how many lifters are there total? Um, Does it tell you? In um, total, total weight, uh, how can I check that? In 83, I think if we talk about, I think it's around six or 8,000. Uh, I will check quickly. Oh, shit. Um, uh, I had the numbers somewhere. 7,680 total men's open tested athletes, out of which 500, only 500 uh, squat 500 pounds. Okay, so there you so, go right there in terms of myth busting. We just myth busted the myth that 500 pound squat is that easy to hit. It honestly, like, again, it's that humbleness when you look at social media and you and you see all these guys squatting, 83 kilo guys squatting 700. And someone like Sean Nureg is like, come on, man. I read an article on how to get to a 500 pound squat. Just lift for two to three years. And if you're a decent sized male, you should hit it. 83 kilo is one of the most populated weight classes in powerlifting. And I actually thought that was logic that, well, maybe because I just, I'm in King of Lists, I see nothing but elite level squatting and lifting in general. So it skews my comparison perception. But when I, when you actually look at the numbers and the numbers are the numbers, there's no opinion needed. That's just not the case. You know, whether it's the total or the squats. Yeah. Um, I just want to double check. Um, I gave you the number of open men, but the 500 includes everyone. So basically juniors, sub juniors, masters. So I want to oh, yeah. make okay. sure that... Let's take a look at juniors, uh, sub juniors, masters, everyone for 83 then. Yeah. Um, no, the, the squat number is like 518 people uh, from all the age categories yeah. do that. But I'm not sure about the total, so I'm just going to run it and see... Uh, what's the actual count of all the lifters? Yeah. Um, a bit of programming, and we're good to go. How many, how many? That's so, man, that's even more impressive then. Uh, let's see. A bit slow. Okay, well, let's swing. It's, it's going to be a bigger number. Um, yes. Obviously, it's kind of hard to compare because, uh, for one, open powerlifting data, when it comes to age categories, it's extremely hard to differentiate. So even if I want to do, like, just open, I have to find out how that fed or that meat marks them as open, like, because they have different identifiers, and it's so hard to do that. Yeah. Okay, so 29,000. I'm in. I'm a master, and um, and I squat over 500, and I'm an 83 kilo. So I would have been chopped off from from that calculation. So that is actually, and there's tons of guys who are 20, 21, 22, 23 who would be juniors. Again, they got to be thrown in the mix to be to be. So yes, I guess a 500 pound squat, 100 is an elite squat, even though we have people who are hitting 700 in the gym, not officially yet. 
it's yeah. see how see how our our actual opinions and views are skewed by social media in terms of what is actually competitive and what is actually tip of the spear and elite. This is this is I think it's very important and I think we should try to make it more clear to the lifting population or general population how it's how the results are distributed and like how do you compare against others like and like oh yeah 500 is supposed to be easy well according to numbers not so much you know yeah. like it's pretty hard to do apparently yeah. a little so if you do it you're in a, like it's insane even if you did it just for people in the open 500 out of 7600 i mean it's still crazy hard um yeah man you know this is like reminding me how people social media skews how people view their bodies and how it can you know people get like unrealistic expectations of how their bodies should look it's the same thing man where we what social media can do to your head this is why so many people this era are suffering from depression and all the rest of it because social media has skewed our self-worth yeah, because if you're not top one percent, you're nobody. But Apparently. Uh, you don't even know that. Like it's like, come on. That's why we have these normal distributions. That's why you have average people and we have freaks. And like, yeah. if you're an average Joe, you're not gonna be a freak. And like, you shouldn't even aim to be like that. You're not yeah. born to be like that. It's like, don't try to. And I don't know. That, it's you like could, you could be amongst the elite. You're just not the one percenter amongst the elite. You could be major league level baseball. You hit the major leagues. You're playing for the Yankees. Phenomenal. You're just not the star player of the Yankees, but you're still a phenomenal athlete in and of yourself. And I think, yeah, we lost that to a large extent. This man, this is an eye-opening episode for me. I'm mean, to be totally honest with you. Some of these stats are rattling me. This is look at. We're focusing on 83s because we're two 83 kilo guys, but this is probably for every single weight class. You know, there's probably oh, yeah, that's, people, that's definitely true. There's people in every weight class that are judging themselves, not realizing they are way off. They are way underestimating how far they've come and where they stand with other power lifters, let alone the rest of the general population, which the average man or woman walking the street probably thinks what you're doing is freaking superhuman. And yet you're walking around telling yourself, I ain't shit. I shouldn't even post this squat set. It's not even worth it. Nobody cares. Not realizing 95% of the powerlifting population would be like, holy shit with what you're doing. I I really, now I really want to do a special post really about those things. So like 500 squat, for example, like, okay, how many lifters hit it from how many lift uh, athletes in total and any other number because... People need to see that. Like, yeah. it's like, well, it's, it's, it's I, like, I, because I, I noticed on myself, I'm actually like, like, I'm like, I don't squat 500. I'm like, I feel weak. I feel like I'm like nothing. But now I look at the numbers. I'm like, huh, not bad. Well, look at me. The <laughs> not number, great, but the numbers are the numbers. Uh, like it's, it's not opinion based when it's just straight up. Here are the statistics. You know, it's, it's you, you, you're take your opinion out of it. And you can see the percentile that you fall on. Um, if you want to do that stat, I 100% would love it so that I could use it when we drop this podcast to tell people we're doing some myth busting in relation to this podcast right now. 
We can't go every single weight class, obviously, right now. We are already 90 minutes deep on this podcast. But if, if we just focused on, like we did the 83s, the point, though, the takeaway of it is we are extremely skewed with what we think is good and what we think is bad. What we think is is elite and, what we, and what's actually just 1% less than 1%. Russell or he, Brett Gibbs, Sean Noriega, and 83s, it's way less than 1%ers. They're the 1% of the 1%ers, if that makes any sense. They're the 0.01%. And when one of those people, the 0.01%, say, oh, come on, it's got to be easy to hit 500. They, they're operating... Not out of, well, I say ignorance, not not being mean, but just they don't know. And I was operating out of ignorance too. I agreed with Sean Noriega when he said that. I was like, probably, I guess. Makes sense, I guess. I had no idea. No, man, like it, the numbers are there, right? You, you just don't know. I don't. I think most of us don't. That's the thing. Like uh, social media skews the view. And like unless you actually start digging into data, you don't know exactly what's going on. And actually, now I'm curious about bench press. So 315, kind of a milestone for like what's average 100, lifters. What's that in kilo? 143 kilo for our international listeners. 140, like so, yeah. So three plates, uh, 20 kilo plates on the side. And like, I'm really curious if I can see how does it look from that perspective. Hey, listen, my bench is terrible, and this is going to help my ego, I think. <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna make me feel better about myself. Um. So, the the total number lifted the same, twenty nine hundred. Even I'm not very confident in that number because I'm doing everything on the fly. So I think uh, before the podcast comes up, I will redo everything so we're sure about that. But let's try running with. The main, the main point is just getting an idea of, not the exact statistic. We can crunch the numbers afterwards and make graphs and the whole nine. But this is basically just getting an idea of. Yeah, okay, so the script is running. Let's see. And what you're pulling up right now, is it um, for just 83s or is this total uh, all lifters? Uh, no, 315 uh, for 83s. In which the, is actually, actually a bigger number. 800 athletes in 2019 did 315. Out of how many thousands? So, same, 29,000. Okay. Like That's still a pretty big bench press. It is, it is. Even though, like, you start to... Like, one thing with 315, like, when I started powerlifting, 225, 100 kilos was, was a milestone for many gym goers. They wanted to hit that 100 kilos. And if you hit like 140, wow, you're very strong. Right now, I also feel that 140 is not that great anymore. But again, numbers don't lie. Only 800 of 83 can do that number. And so. think about this. Let this sink in for a second. Jen Thompson, a 63 kilo master woman who's 46 years old, benches that. You think about that. Now, obviously, this yeah, is, yeah. that is... That's the thing. Yeah. We're talking about freaks. We're talking about absolute tip-of-the-spear freak athletes. Once in a generation coming along. It is so true. And I think it's going to be great for people to see 
how it's actually distributed and like that their numbers are not that bad to begin with. Yeah. So, no, listen, man, I, I, I'm very grateful you coming on here because I think this is an eye opening. Um, I would love to get some of those numbers. So when I drop this podcast, I put that in the post and say, look, it, we're going to do some myth busting, you know, in terms of um, how many people are actually squatting and benching and, you know, just in general, because I think a lot when those numbers came out and you dropped those classifications, some people, you know, they, they were surprised. And because they were surprised, they were like, how can this be right? But it is like, look, at you get the general idea. This is, we were skewed. We're way off. Well, uh, well, definitely thank you for inviting me. Uh, didn't expect that. Like my first podcast too. Uh, like you invite these big names. I'm like, what the hell am I going to do here? Like I'm a nobody. Like I have a less than 500 squad, you know. But yeah, I think we well, shed some light. Uh, now, yeah, now you what's, know what's happening in powerlifting. And uh, very grateful for the invite. And I will give you the numbers. We will share this. No problem. It, my man, now you know you got a good squat. Now, now you know just where your squat yeah. really is. Apparently, it's not that bad. Yeah. And here's the thing, man. You, um, the bigger picture, in terms of conversation, man, you sparked a big one, my friend. I mean, you literally, in 2019, in terms of impact and influencers, you made a huge impact. I, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but when we posted that on King of Lists, you know how you could see how many shares in likes and how many forwards you uh, it got because people forward the post. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we, I didn't, I didn't know this was going to happen either. But when I reposted those on King of Lists, the amount of forwards was in the thousands. The amount of reposts was in the thousands all over the world. Like it was just too many to count. The amount of like how many times people tagged me in in stories saying, "Holy shit, look what King of Lists just posted!" Because of your data that you you had you had crunched. Because of the, the that's open powerlifting's data. I'm well, just the okay. cruncher. Right. You're the cruncher. Okay, but open powerlifting's data that you crunch, um, and and then we repost it. I guess there's a lot of hands in this in this, but uh, still, nonetheless, people were shocked. People rattled just like we're shocked right now, just with this like crunching some numbers right now on the fly. So um, I mean, yeah, man, it was it means something. I think it is. We should do this more often. We should every now and then get together and do like a state of the game. What is the state of the game? Sure. You know, last time we talked, China and Vietnam had just entered the fold. We come back in a little while and I mean, maybe it takes a little bit for them to get going and whatnot, but has the numbers continued to decrease? Have we seen an increase in terms of the amount of lifters? Um, What are the numbers at in terms of the overall, you know, just random squat numbers, bench numbers, etc. Maybe we even take some some feedback from people saying, what are some myths that we should bust? Because um, we just bust yeah, the that's, myths right there. That would be great, I think, because people probably have, will have many questions, probably some critique, uh, hopefully no hate mail or anything like that. <laughs> but the, my, I don't want to be right. I just want to inform, like right. uh, show them the numbers, let them interpret it for themselves, like, and maybe help understand where they stand in terms of their strength, like when it comes to powerlifting. That's right. And right. if we can do that, uh, I'm very happy. I don't want to be right. If someone says that I'm doing the data wrong, I'm fine. Let's fix it. Let's do it the way it's supposed to be. Like, just information. Like, yeah. Let people know what's where. And, and you know what? That's what? That's exactly what it is. Even if we... Even if you budge the needle a little to the left, a little to the right from from the median, 
either way, the overall takeaway is the same. The overall takeaway being that we, we were really pretty far off with what we thought is, is the takeaway that I took. I'm not going to remember every, every single weight classes, you know, what's the elite, what's the, but that's not really the point when I took away from this. And, um, and we could dive deeper, like you said, in the future, more people are going to hear the podcast, see the posts and offer feedback. We could dive and get more and more surgical. And start sharpening that Absolutely. scalpel. Yeah, we could sharpen that scalpel and get more and more surgical and more and more pinpoint. That's fine. This is where the conversation starts. It's not where it ends. You know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, let, I agree. I agree. I'm like yeah. I, I love numbers, and if people get more informed from them, all the better. Listen, you've been on for two hours now. It's eleven o'clock. It's eleven a.m. where I'm at. Eleven p.m. where you're at. We're on completely other ends of the world. Um, I just ate up your Saturday night. I'm sorry, my friend. Go do what you got to do. Sunday night. Oh, Sunday night. Uh, That's right. No okay. problem. No problem. <laughs> All right. Um, so thank you very much for coming on the show. Much appreciated. Uh, I mean, yeah, it was it was amazing. Uh, it was everything I would have hoped it was going to be. Would love. We got to have you back. We're going to do it again. I'm sure we're going to get some feedback. I will open up the questions and feedback what you guys want to see. Um, and I'll keep you informed, my friend. And let's keep in touch. And the Wi-Fi held up. Definitely. The Wi-Fi held up. Thank you. Yeah, that's true. It worked. (laughs) Okay, till next time. Before I let you go, how do people follow you if they want to follow you for for more of your graphics and information, etc.? Well, I'm most active on Instagram, and my handle is coach.unders. You can follow me there. Uh, The posts also go on Facebook, which is also coach.unders. and if you follow me on Instagram, you will find every other resource I, I post, which is some YouTube videos, some articles on medium.com. Basically, just just follow me on Instagram and you will see everything. Perfect. And Andreas is spelled A-N-D like David, R-I-U-S like Sam. And there you have it, man. He's a coach. Uh, he, I'm, I'm assuming you're taking on clients as well? Yes, I do, but... I'm very limited in terms of online coaching um, because I have my own gym, so I have to work with the people there. And like, if someone is very eager and they can check my Instagram, the way I work, uh, my articles, and if they want to train under me, I am willing to take that. Okay. Well, there you have it, my friend. Thank you very much for coming on, and we're going to keep in touch. Definitely. See ya. Right. Whoa, not going to lie. Not going to lie. I'm a little... A little surprised at um, at some of these numbers that came out right there. Um, I mean, I look at what I want. I mentioned just just by example because it just happened within the last couple of weeks when when Sean had posted that. I was one hundred percent on board with what he said. I thought, yeah, five hundred squat. Um, a guy who is around two hundred pounds it should be able to hit five hundred squat within two three years. Apparently, it's a little more. I I think if you exhaust all resources really go headlong into it. You could hit it, but it's not quite as simple as we thought. And um, so our perception is a little skewed. And it's interesting stuff as well as, not just that, but the growth of the sport and how important it is that we continue to bring in more federations from around the world. Because eventually we are going to max out what we're doing. Eventually we're going to max out in terms of just using social media. And we have to use other resources to bring in uh, uh, more lifters. 
like bringing in other federations, moving on to the Olympic Channel. When other federations see us on the, when other nations see us on the Olympic Channel, then those other nations now are taking it more seriously and more people are more likely to be recruited into our sport. We need to get creative in how we expand because eventually, if just like anything in life, if you keep doing what you've always done, you're going to plateau eventually. We've done a phenomenal job when it comes to using social media and using the tools we have. But it's only going to go so far until eventually we plateau. And one thing you could say about powerlifters, we are freaking creative. Look what we've done already. The last episode, the decade interview, if you haven't heard it yet, give it a listen. We talk about just how creative we are and how we made something out of nothing in the last decade. And really blew up a sport that had very little backing. And now look at us. You know, so I, I, I do believe we can, if we are facing a bit of a plateau, we will overcome it. And I think bringing in China and Vietnam into the IPF is a major push. And more than just me, people get, are starting to get a little frustrated, like, oh, you were talking about IPF. They are, look, let's be honest, they are at the forefront of this in terms of bringing in these other nations. It's the truth. They're at the forefront of this in terms of getting us in the Olympic Channel so other nations get to see us that ordinarily wouldn't have. You don't have to be looking specifically for us when you see us in the Olympic Channel. You just have to be tuning into the Olympic Channel and then you see powerlifting and you're going to come on. There are other federations who are on different media outlets and I think that's phenomenal. Um, it's just off the top of my head, China is a major acquisition, if that's the word we're going to use, just because of how many people are in China and how sports crazed they are. But uh, yeah, we're going to bring Mamea back. we got to crunch some more numbers. And I'm sure when this podcast drops, we're going to get people bringing feedback. We're going to get people saying, find out how many people can... From the women's side, look, we're two men. And we're talking about this. And we're two men, 83 kilos. So we're just using some generalized numbers you see in the 83 kilo class. I'm sure there's going to be women listening and saying, well, how many women deadlift 300 pounds? Because I'm seeing tons of 400 pound deadlifts. And I'm feeling a little funny about myself because I only, quote unquote deadlift 300 I bet you 300 is absolutely elite and phenomenal for a woman to deadlift and I bet you you don't even realize how special that is we can crunch these numbers hit us up if you've got any questions with anything we, we put in here you've got any feedback um, this is the beginning of the conversation it's not the end talk to you soon